Rugby 2024, Talking Tyros back, episode 66. Rob, um, we're 10th. What a big surprise. Where we belong. We are are on the train to 10th. We are halfway through the season. So third season in the Urich. We're the winter 10th champions. We are the winter 10th champions. We are on course. Uh, as any team in Serie A history, I wondered, finished 10th three seasons in a row. We'll have to, we'll have to look, look that one up. But yeah, essentially today, um, is a bit of a review of the three matches over Christmas, which for me encapsulate the Eurich era perfectly. So we were in pretty good form, went into a sellout home match against Udinese, who'd won once all season. And what the Toro do? Well, we, I, I guess we've got to be grateful for a very lucky late Ivan Illich goal to get as a draw. Uh, then we go to Florence and we give the classic, um, tactically perfect Urich away performance where we actually forget to score, um, uh, an hour into the game, lose any energy, uh, make bad substitutions and lose to a goal in Florence. I was very angry after the Fiorentina game. I don't know if it's because it kind of ruined, ruined my Christmas, but, just that's I mean yeah. that's a little drastic series the game that, was four days after Christmas. Uh, but it kind of it was I was really looking forward to it. I, I like a Christmas Toro. And that game I've just so much about it was uh I'd seen that match so many times under Urich. I was really frustrated and I just thought yeah, I just uh, we'll get onto it a little bit. And then Napoli come to town. I have this theory that Torino are always quite good in January. I think I don't have the stats to back it up, but I have a just I have this kind of feeling throughout my fandom of Toro that we've we've often done quite well in January. Um, Napoli come to town. Oh, it could it could have been Atalanta because they played just like Atalanta. Uh, another good crowd. We'll get onto that. Why it was a why it was a good crowd as well. And Rob, we we smashed the defending champions three nil. We we did. Yeah, we were very um, yeah maybe a little bit lucky that obviously uh, Victor Osterman and and Anguissa uh, away uh, at the African Cup of Nations or and um, and maybe that would have been a little bit more of a, a tougher proposition had they been in the team but yeah and yeah um, uh, Kavarich Kelia I'm not sure uh, if that was his twin brother or a cousin or something but it, it definitely wasn't the the same Georgian player who do, um, do you uh, know who so he reminds me of he reminds me of. Uh, the first six months of last season, he was Gigi Lentini, ninety one, ninety two, and w- within six months, he's become Gigi Lentini, like ninety eight, ninety nine. Although he's not not with the extra, let's call it muscle that Lentini had. But yeah, he's just kind of um, someone. I think math math on Twitter said one season wonder. I mean, I'm not even sure he had it. He was brilliant for all of that. I think Napoli Napoli kind of came to Turin. We. Uh, as I said, it was an open house party. They effectively won the Scudetto against us by beating us four 0 and I'm not I'm not sure how many good games he's had since then. Yeah, I think he um, he he's maybe a little bit one dimensional. He's a player I enjoy watching uh, when he when he's on when he's on for me. That he's definitely one of the more um, watchable players in Syria. Um, but yeah, I mean, you probably if you tune into that game and you. <laughs> Even before Masaki got sent off, if you tuned into that game and you knew nothing about Italian football and you had to say which one of these teams won the league last season, I mean, nobody would have picked the the team in blue. So I think it's probably um, almost, uh, that says maybe it speaks volumes. Uh, I don't think the, the fans were particularly happy um, with the, the game having to be sort of 
suspended uh, a little bit after Bongiorno's goal when uh, the commentator wasn't quite so sure was the reason why, but he did clear it up by saying that you can't play football with flares on the pitch. So I'm glad he said that because I wasn't sure. Gigi Moroni uh, probably he probably wore flares on flares on the pitch back <laughs> in the sixties, but yeah, it was um, that was a great win. Um, and it was a lot about, I mean, Napoli, Spalletti was such the architecture for, architect rather for, for why they were great for, for those seasons. And it does seem like, I mean, Rudy, without this being talking Napoli, Rudy Garcia never looked like an inspired, um, choice. And Walter Mats, I mean, Agent Matsari, I mean, it, last time he was in Turin, oh, he did come with Cagliari, didn't he? But I think last time, uh, one of the last times he was losing 7-0 as Toro coach to Atalanta. So, it, it, there was there was something poetic about Mazzari coming back and getting hammered, and also I think it would have been more fitting had we won four nil after after losing four nil. Well, we, well, we declared we declared it three nil. Well, we declared when Sazanoff we bought uh, when we bought Pellegrini and Sazanoff on, which was for me was yeah the the only kind of disappointing part of the the day was the subs really, but I yeah all's well it ends well. Sazanoff he seems very happy with his. Uh, with his 15 minutes looking at his social media as well. So he just wanted uh, to get a uh, Kavaric Kelly's shirt at the end of the game, I think. Well, indeed. But yeah, I guess Napoli's the main, I mean, the Udinese game feels a long time ago. I didn't watch that game because it was on at the funny kickoff time in, in the UK. Uh, unfortunately I did watch the Fiorentina game. Um, is there any kind of, for me, as I said, Fiorentina, we, it felt like the Bologna game. It felt like, um, a few other games this season, even the first 20 minutes in Rome against Lazio is another one that comes to mind where, yeah, we just, I would say we forgot to score. There was a lot of talk that Torino should have been two or three in the upper half time. I don't think we created that much in Florence. We just, we really bossed the game. Fiorentina for me, aren't really the sum of their parts. I just, oh, I often look at them and think, do they invest in the right kind of player? And um, I wasn't really very, very impressed with them. And then, but then Toro did that thing where, yeah, as I said, we we don't seem to be able to play with intensity for, for 90 minutes. And we look very clueless after about 55, 60 minutes. And I wouldn't say the goal was inevitable, but in the last 20 minutes, you had the feeling if one team was going to score, it's going to be Fiorentina. And I know that, I know they scored late on, so it wasn't really much time for us to to have a reaction. But this Toro team, that's probably one of the biggest um, bugbears is that, is that mental aspect. That as soon as a goal goes down, they just sort of I'm not sure if it if it's if it, they're sulking or they, they just know the reality that they're not going to get back into the game. But same thing happened in Milan. You played quite well, and then you can see the goal against the winner play somewhat, and then you're just like, oh, it's not going to be our day. Um, and yeah, I know there was probably only sort of seven eight minutes left, but even I don't think we created a chance. There was just absolutely no sort of idea that we were going to get back into that game. Um, conversely, I'm aware we did score. We did score uh, against uh, Udinese quite late on after after equal uh, after going behind. But I mean that equaliser was just uh, a, a Christmas present uh, for, from the gods. I think um, Ivan Illich. I, I did manage to watch the game on a um, a method I will not disclose, um, and it was. Um, yeah, Ivan Ilic, um probably one of the worst performances uh, that I've seen from Atari player this season. Um, especially just his set pieces were just absolutely atrocious. Um, corners would would just not be in the first man or just going straight out of play, and and he just 
did not look like anything that that he was was touching was going right. And then, and I mean, genuinely, when that when ultimately what turns out to be the goal leaves his boot, I'm <laughs> I'm thinking it's going into like row E or F. Like it it looks so far out of um, anywhere. <laughs> It doesn't look like it's curling into into the strikers or into the area, and then yeah, it just it beats the goalkeeper in, and, and yeah, it, he looked a little bit embarrassed, I think. But Rick, I think he also was aware that he was having a bit of a nightmare. But you like you say, yeah, a bit of a bit of a good fortune, then play well and maybe don't get what we deserve in uh, in Florence, um, yeah, and then we go and smash the champions. So yeah, it's basically being a Toro fan in the space of two weeks. That is. Yeah, I mean, I don't, don't, I, I, I'm going to give Illich credit. I think he meant that, and I think, I think I'm the only one who thinks he meant it. I don't even think even Illich even, think he meant that, it. I, but, I'm not even sure he said that. But I think he, um, yeah, I think he meant it. I think it's one of the goals of the season. I think it's one of the underrated goals of the season that no one's talking about. But I mean, the fact that going into the side netting, I'm pretty sure not even it doesn't go into like the middle of the net. It's it's inch perfect if he's meant it. Beautiful technique, and when he does it when he does it again in in Genoa this weekend, you will be uh, you'll 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 become a believer, Rob. So yeah, D- Douglas Douglas Ruiz, uh, Aston Villa's had a habit of scoring from corners. I believe that he he means those. Um, yeah, I'd rather Illich doesn't start trying to shoot from corners because he struggles to get it past the first man as it is. I did, yeah. But no, let's let's talk about Napoli. So uh, I say another sellout. I mean, Torino's. We've we've talked about the fans this season, but. Weirdly, there have been quite a few big crowds this season. Um, there seems to be, yeah, five or six matches have, have more or less sold out. I mean, the, the, the Empoli game being a bit of a sad exception. Um, but uh, yeah, so the Udinese game, I think a lot of people um, obviously broken up for Christmas. I, th- I think the afternoon kickoff times are a lot easier for some people as well. And then, yeah, so Napoli game... The promise of a free uh, Toro Christmas. A free Toro hat, which Rob did get hold of, apparently. Um, uh, unfortunately, uh, no, unfortunately not. Not the, not the, not the one they were giving away. Ah, uh, okay. Um, but yeah, so if you did, if you do have a Toro Christmas hat and went to the draw of Udinese, then yeah. please, if you have the one you... You, you don't want, then please send it on to Rob. Because that's going to be coming... It's going to really come in handy in, in, in January and February. Um. But yeah, no, so Na- Napoli was a sellout a bit like last season. Quite a few Napoli fans in, let's certainly not in the Maratona, but let's say in um, in the Distinti, um, one hand seeing fans side by side in different shirts and not fighting is a good thing. On the other hand, part of me is, gives the impression, as I said last season, you're a little bit, you're a little bit tin pot. Um, and I don't think there were anywhere near as many Napoli fans as there were last season. It was a proper, and I think a lot of them did actually drift towards where the the Napoli away fan what end was. I think um, the, com- the context of the game is totally different. You can almost understand it last season was they were, were about to win the Scudetto. Uh, yeah, no, indeed, and uh, but you know, it's good. It's good not to see. Um, it's got good not to see empty seats. And as uh, and the way the game worked out, it was. Um, yeah, it had a very different feel to the kind of procession from last season. Um, some some of those fans, um, assuming that there might even be um, Turin base, may have gone out, walked in in a in a Napoli shirt and left <laughs> left wearing a Torre shirt. Could be the half and half scarves got yeah <laughs> fold, folded in a different direction. Uh, 
Yeah, let's talk about Pasquale Mazzocchi because you felt a bit <laughs> oh, sorry yeah, for him. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I, I, I think he was done. I think he, we came out late for the second half. So he, had, he, he was a halftime substitution, making his debut for his hometown club. This is a player. And, and to, and, yeah, and now you're going to slag him off, which I think is really cruel. No, I just think, I think it's really funny. It reminded me of Orlando Bianchi sending off when Bianchi came with Lazio, um, having turned down Toro, got roundly booed and, and was too fired up. And, uh, Mazzocchi wasn't booed or anything. He, I mean, he I don't even know. Fired, how, he definitely was it, too fired up because I think, he, I mean, he, he launched, I think he was in Cuneo when he launched that challenge. It, yeah. I mean, he, he was, um, yeah, it was. It was. It, 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 to be fair to him, he produced one of the few bits of class from a Napoli player with that kind of run, run over the outside and a nice cross just beforehand. And he thought, all right, actually, they've got someone out wide who's who might be able to hurt us. And a he's bit. also he's a player who you you quite like. Come on to Torres sign. I thought, yeah, we've been linked with quite a lot. I'm never sure. Yeah, you're never sure how close we've been to signing him. But yeah, I remember watching a bit of Venezia actually and thinking. Uh, yeah, we we have struggled for wing backs, but and yeah, you do wonder about his Napoli career now because he was already going to get suspended with the yellow, the original yellow card, and then and then the red card. It's one of those that, um, yeah, it's you know fo- football's about narrative and storylines, and and it was quite funny. I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I don't wish him any bad, but um, yeah. It, sometimes it was one of those moments, and I know Cairo talks about it a lot in terms of the number of um, sort of refereeing decisions that have gone against Torino, uh, especially this season. And I did, I think I must have missed the original challenge, but obviously saw the saw the aftermath, saw saw Mazaki get get the yellow card, saw the replay, and it's the clearest red card you'll ever see. And it's just like I, I think Lazzaro said that as soon as he like. As soon as the challenge happened, he knew it was a red card, like because it just so there's no like extenuating circumstances, no context, like it's it's almost GBH to be honest. Like he's he's nowhere near the ball, I, it, and I think that's where I felt a little bit sorry for him. I don't think he's like sometimes a, a challenge does it. Somebody does a challenge and they've deliberately tried to injure an opponent, or, or I think he's almost like say too fired up. He slid on the pitch and his foot is just raised. I don't, I don't know how it's happened, but he's he's, foot, he's raised his foot so high that it makes contact with Lazaro's knee, and yeah, it does not look good. No challenge looks good when it's in slow motion, but it's yeah, very fortunate. Obviously, making it a little bit more serious, very serious for a player who's suffered with a number of injuries. Very serious, very fortunate that um, Lazaro escaped a serious injury. Yeah, there, there was no kind of reaction from any Toro players' part, even when the yellow card came out. I guess it all happened quite quickly, even the VA, even the VAR review. Um, if if, I don't, if they hadn't have uh, upgraded it to a red card, then I would have been convinced it was a conspiracy. Yeah, it was a uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Cairo would have had to come out and uh, and 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 complain again for. Uh, but yeah, let's um, let's focus on the positives. I mean, I thought first half was fairly even. I thought Toro possibly shaded it. Um, and then another, I think, turning point probably the game. If you think of the first half, is the save uh, by Milinkovic Savic, maybe further cementing his um, position as a, a very competent goalkeeper. That's that's the the sort of save that he wasn't making in his first two seasons at Toro. The sort of the saves that he has no right to make. Uh, I know it was similar. It was it wasn't a, a miraculous save like maybe the one the one against Pasalic against Atalanta, but. It was a good save and one which 
you wouldn't have been had it gone just straight through him. It wouldn't have been a mistake from him. But Syriga in the past has, has saved points and saved goals, which probably he shouldn't have. And and it was one of those things where it, when I can't remember who who it was who has the shot. Uh, it was Raspadori. It was Raspadori. And you you feel like it was a goal, like it's unmarked, sort of not far away from from the goal. You you expect it to be one nearly. And obviously, when that doesn't happen, probably gives everybody a bit of a boost, especially in the stadium and the Torre players. And then, yeah, to get the goal just before half time also, also helped. No, definitely. We know Torre have to score first. Um, we struggle to. To, yeah, to come to come back and draw matches, never mind win them. Um, Napoli hadn't scored in an age as well, so it was. I think the first goal was always going to be crucial. Um, bit of a kind of classic Sanabria goal in in, in some ways. If, I thought if, this, you're, yeah. if you're claiming that Illich meant his goal, then Zapata definitely meant his assist. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, yeah, I just I think there were a few things to like. It was quite. At the end of the game, um, fast forwarding the player celebrations, I'd forgotten all about Tamezo. Um, obviously, he didn't play, but I forgot. Yeah, you know, I didn't miss him in the match, I, and it was strange to see Toro so dominant without Tamezo or Linetti in midfield. Um, I, think it, I think it was all uh, that. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point actually. Ilic and, and Richie have struggled to sort of put their their impact on games uh, starting together. It was maybe a bit of a surprise. I wasn't shocked to see Gigi come back in because of his pace and and having that extra um bit of uh support for Bellanova up against uh Kavarchelia but it, it wasn't really needed it in the end because because uh, obviously uh, as we ever mentioned had such a poor game. Yeah no uh, Gigi, I thought Gigi did really well. Um it's quite interesting that we've not really missed Pershers and had he been fit um it's almost Having him and Bongiorno in the same squad almost feels like a bit of a luxury. I think. Um, it, I think if uh, something which again I'm going to talk about again, which I've been talking for for a while. I think if Skiers had been fit, I think Skiers is naturally in that centre of the three. Bongiorno moves out to the left, and Madrigo's goes to the the left wing back position. We, we are still missing out on that natural quality in the same way. Bellanova, since we've moved to the three five two, is is a totally different player. Having two players to aim for. Uh, in the middle, having that same option on the left-hand side, Rodriguez it started to get forward a little bit more from from the left uh, side of centre back position. But the the quality he has is is even better than Bellanova on the right. So yeah, I think Hedges not got injured. I would imagine that probably would have been what we'd have what we'd have seen this this team look look like. And then yeah, maybe we wouldn't have we never would have seen that that. I suppose it might have taken a little bit longer for that that sort of to come to fruition until Gigi returned from from injury, and we may may never have seen Tomeze uh, sort of being a, a very good deputy uh, in the in the back three as well. Yeah, for, for me, another low key um, great performance was Vlasic again. Uh, he seems to alternate uh, these really kind of hard working, high energy pressing performances with fairly anonymous performances. Uh, he's a lot better at home uh, than away from home. It's quite noticeable, maybe because we're a bit more on the front foot. And I think we've really found that little pocket for him at the edge of the box. He is a very, very dangerous player. Like very unlucky not to have, um, to have his goal chalked off in Bologna as well. Um, great strike yesterday. Probably was the moment that sealed the game although as a Toro fan you're never going to you're never going to truly relax and then I thought when Sanabria hit the post 
Uh, oh dear, would that be a, would that be a mini turning point? I don't know if that would have. It's one of those ones where there could have been an offside. I think the original yeah. run from Illich could have been offside, and it could have been pulled back anyway. But yeah, that's that was that sort of that whole incident was like if this game was nil nil, like that would have summed it up. It was like obviously Snabry misses a sitter that pops up, and Zapata thinks he's going to score, and then the goalkeeper almost fumbles it over the net, uh, over the line. But yeah, like, thankfully uh, we didn't have long to wait for the third. No, and I have to say, I mean, I think I te- either tweeted it or texted you that Juan Jesus is, uh, as a career as a top six centre-half in, in Italy is pretty impressive because he's got a lot of uh, Federico Fazio about him for me. He was very poor defending. Um, uh, yeah, kind of quite weak defending for the, for, for Bongiorno's header. And then, yeah, I felt uh, the only disappointing thing was, I say the subs, it was, I was a bit worried when Sazanov came on because of, I don't trust him entirely yet, but it was actually quite good management, I think, to give him 15 minutes. Although if you saw David Zima's face at the end, I've never seen someone look so sad after a 3-0 win. And that's not criticising him for not waiting Toro to win, but he looked very sad. Um, and then Pellegrini, uh, going back to Florence, I thought we played with 10 men a lot of time. I thought his performance in, in Florence was was probably the performance that suggests the Pellegrini experiments should be done and, and we should maybe be looking to, we'll talk about the transfer market shortly, but yeah, what I would have liked to have seen another player given a, given those 15, 20 minutes that Pellegrini got. And then I don't know why then Dembeset gets 30 seconds when it's probably going to move on as well. And without going into the whole Dembeset thing, he was never going to be well received by the, on a kind of glorious day for Toro. It was just felt yeah. like. Uh, like how to, how to, there can't be many players who come on uh, and get booed by the fans when they're home, when the team are three nil up with like minutes to go. Yeah. I think maybe a bit of a, maybe a bit naive um, from Juric would probably be the most innocent way of looking at it. Um, part of Juric's character, I think he just sort of maybe did it not deliberately, but almost sort of thinking, oh, oh, I'm going to do what I want. I don't care what you think. Um, so almost a, a bit of spite, really, which, again, not to be in, uh, be sort of a, a, a defender of Sec, but also potentially not particularly the fairest thing to to do for him either. Um, I think he probably, in the, especially in the home games, he's probably quite happy on the bench. He's not going to be sad like David Zima. No, but to, but to be positive, it's, it was 25 points at the halfway stage, Juric's first season, 26th second season, 27th this season. 28th next season. So, yeah, re- remarkably consistent. Nine clean sheets. So Vanya's actually got nine clean sheets in his 18 games because he didn't play in Bologna. Fourth best defence, fifth worst attack. And as you pointed out earlier, we've scored, what, 19 goals, but nine of them have come in three, three nil wins. Yeah. So, and I think it, it may have been Mesa, um, who was conspicuous by his absence uh, uh, from the stadium yesterday. Mesa, um, look, you know, after the Talking Toro Christmas quiz, and um, I was half expected to see the Southampton flag waving in the Maratona, but uh, I believe Mesa will be back soon. But um, yeah, I think Mesa may have, point, may have tweeted that uh, the amount of times Toro have been nil nil at half time this season is. Uh, is quite impressive. Just a uh, just a quick word as well before we go into transfer to from to the uh, Talking Tower player, reigning Talking Tower player of the season, Alessandro Bongiorno. 
and also might win the top top goal scorer award as well because for a man who seemed to get his head on every set piece um offensively and defensively last season but only getting one goal uh, to his name he's already scored three this season uh and funnily enough that's his first with his head um having scored um in Salerno and Lecce so he's he's scored somewhere other than the south as well um but yeah no I th- I actually thought I didn't appreciate until the replay just how good of a header it is. Sometimes you see a set centre back score uh, from a corner, and you just sort of miss. think it's sort of like quite rudiment- rudimentary, sort of nodding it in. But it, the angle, it, it almost looks like he's too high for the when he makes contact with it. He almost has to head the ball down because he's almost too high. So yeah, re- a really good goal, and yeah, just continues his stock continues to rise, and and hopefully. Maybe he goes off the boil in, in January so that he doesn't get a move away. All right. Well, we've got a few uh, few things to cover before I've got to introduce a special little bolt-on to uh, this week's pod. So, Rob, Toropedia. Obviously, we had quite a few in our Christmas quiz, but it's back. Um, I'll try and be fast with this one. So, usual format. We'll go back to the, the original format. Okay, 1983 to 1984, Torino, one appearance, no goals. 84-85, to 85, a loan to Parma, 21 appearances, no goals. 85-86, a loan to Palermo, 35 appearances, one goal. 86-87, to 87, a loan at Ascoli, 26 appearances, no goals. Back to his parent club, Torino, from 87 to 92, 125 appearances, six goals. Moves on to Roma, 92 to 94, 51 appearances, four goals. 96, Alessandra, um, 14 appearances, one goal. And then closes his career at Chieri, 96 to 2000, 91 appearances, 14 goals. So it should have been Alessandria. I miswrote something. Um, but yeah, how are you feeling about that one? Need any of it repeated? Uh, and not annoyingly, my knowledge of Toro in the sort of late eighties, early nineties is poor, and it should it should be a lot better than it is. And 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 you've you've got me a player here who obviously peak of his career eighty seven ninety two. Can I can I get his um, goals in in uh, Torino in that spell eighty seven ninety two? Yeah, so one hundred twenty five appearances, six goals, and I think the other key part of his career is ninety two to ninety five Roma fifty one four. So that may, you know, the clues within the dates, he played for Roma in the Coppa Italia final against Torino, having left Torino after the UEFA Cup final. So you've heard of this player. That's all I'll say. All right. Well, Rob thinks we've got to, um, before we go on to, uh, it, well, introduce the game against Genoa uh, this weekend with something a little bit different. Um Rob, next five games are Genoa away, Cagliari at home, Salernitana at home, Sassuolo away and Lecce at home. Now, we are Pintoro fans long enough to to know that we can't expect. Um, they're all games that we would go into. Certainly Genoa away would probably be the hardest one there, but certainly games that are all winnable. Um there should be a game against Lazio in there which has been moved because of the Super Cup. So we actually have two weeks off at some point in January, which will give Cairo and Vagnetti no doubt some time to bring in our uh, stellar new signings. But yeah, we 
have the opportunity to kind of eat up some ground on the likes of Bologna and, and Fiorentina. And I think if we really want to stake a claim for Europe, then it's a pretty big month before we go back into some fixtures against teams we traditionally struggle against. So um, transfer talk, Rob. Um, I'll just give you the headlines of what's being said. Um, so there's talk that Radonjic will be out. He, he and Brandon Soppy weren't selected yesterday because they had minor um, bugs or minor niggles, which is quite convenient because Soppy has been linked with uh, us kind of basically sending him back to Atalanta. Uh, the other players who've been talked about leaving will be Pellegri and Sec. And also looking at David Zima's little face yesterday, I wonder if he's placed in the hierarchy of defenders. I wonder if he'll go out on, on loan as well. And then there's only really one strong in-band rumour, which is Josh Doig, who it was the whole summer we were linked with, um, we were quite close to. Then it seemed like Juric didn't want him. And then maybe with the change in, in necessarily change in formation, but yeah, kind of reliance on, 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 on wing backs and the, soppy experiment not working um you did throw in something this morning which i've seen a little bit of and i don't think should happen and i don't think will happen which is a possible return of il gallo balotti um i've seen him link with some serie b teams but i can't think of which serie b teams would be able to afford his wages and uh, i don't see roma necessarily wanting to subsidize them so uh, i have seen him linked actually with cagliari today i did uh i did a quick search on gala rooms to see where you'd got them from uh, <laughs> i sort of saw one for Cagliari. i have seen some stuff over the holidays on torino uh, but I, yeah I, I don't think there's anything clear cut on on Bellotti. I, I do think i think it makes more sense I, if you were giving me the option of um Bellotti or say a player from sort of poland or or germany or something who hasn't played in the league and hasn't played in the Urich before i'd go for Bellotti every time you just got some pin badges you want to get rid of, mate. That's all it is. Some, I do You're, have some pin badges. This guy, this guy left 18 months ago. He scored two Serie A goals, both in a match against Salernitana, who last time I checked were bottom of Serie A. He has been hopeless at Roma. Hopeless. And uh, it was pretty, was not great in his last season at Toro. But you I'm not this, sure. You're this is if we've got two, like, 30 goal a season strikers at front. Two goals. <laughs> With two goals, he's only had, he's only scored he's only scored one less than the uh, Sanabria. He plays every game. <laughs> well, you know it's well, he does a lot more for the team, Rob. You know that. Come on, and uh, and uh, cheers, David up. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I don't think the Gallo is going to come back because, and I don't think he would be very well received if he did come back. But uh, it, it's it's I think the entertaining debate. I've not. You know, play, scout. Players, can you think of anybody who's come back after leaving where it was, you thought it was going to be a bit shaky and then they've actually been welcomed back, their plans? Well, Immobile came back and he was welcomed back with open arms, but he didn't leave on necessarily on bad terms. Yeah, but if, <laughs> you know what? If he, if Bellotti came back, like, Caro would spin it in some sort of way. He's taking a pay, he's taking a pay cut or something, which would, which would likely be the only way you could come back. Well, the only way it would be some kind of declaration of, you know, but it, the, the fans would see through it that he's not been good enough for Roma. As soon as he scores, if he scores the win in the derby, nobody cares. Well, he, he had 16 opportunities already to score Yeah, the and how much better would it be if this was the one who did it in? 
Yeah, I uh, I think just because we can't think of any better forwards available, uh, <laughs> there, there will be some. But I think I think at this moment in time, hopefully Josh Doig or a basically a Bellanova equivalent on the left hand side to come in, and then depending on which of the forwards leaves, whether it's Radonjic, Pellegri, then some kind of upgrade replacement and- on them would be great. I don't actually think much of the rest of the team, barring injuries actually needs touching up that much. There's a bit of talk that there are a few other clubs in, um, interested in Doig. Um, personally, from a non-Tari perspective, given how Juric seems to, like, doesn't want him. I think he could still arrive, but I don't think Juric is massively desperate for him to sign. Um, I would, I, may, I, I think he might be advised to go elsewhere uh, and maybe go for a team who's sort of been a little bit more active in, in actually signing him. I think Taro... Um, yeah, in, in 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 the summer it seemed like he was one step away. I don't think I'm I'm going to believe Doig uh, at Toro until he's sort of wearing the shirt. No, never. The, the reason this has resurfaced because Verona, for financial reasons, need to sell, and they've already sold two players. So whether this kind of fire sale, whether they actually need to sell too many more, is um, yeah. I I literally had no idea that Hien had signed. Kian's gone to it, yeah, and, and came off the bench, and they sold Just, a young defender to 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 to, to was it Terracciano went to Milan today, so yeah, so whether Genoa, uh, sorry, whether Verona will just take a yeah can can take a few breaths now and 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 not necessarily as desperate to sell. And a British player is always going to have a fairly is always going to have the option of going home where a Championship team or a, I don't know, since Rangers and Leeds linked will, will certainly throw some money at it. Um, so Rob, just two things to do. One is very quickly, you got an answer on the Toropedia? I don't, I don't know the answer. Um, I'll guess Roberto Policano, but I know it's wrong. It's wrong. The answer is someone who was involved with Torino for a very long time after playing. It was Silvano Benedetti. So yeah, that was the answer this week's Toropedia. Um, where's the Genoa preview? I hear you all saying, um, well, let me tell you, if you're going to have to wait for the Genoa predictions, because Rob and I have been moonlighting. We have been playing away from home at the Marassi already, and we just joined Fabrizio and Matt, uh, two uh, Canadian-based Genoa fans, on a recording of La Lanterna podcast, which uh, will come out uh, later this week. So that's a talking Toro equivalent for Genoa fans worldwide. So we've just done a, a little recording to talk about the historic friendship between Toro and Genoa, a little bit about this season and our thoughts for this weekend's game. So we are going to share the audio and that will serve as the preview um, for the Genoa match. Um, that was good fun. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was good to talk to some other fans and um, get their insights as well. Um, so that's coming up after a very short uh, reminder of a certain maverick Serbian who scored the winner when the sides met early this season, which I still think was a nil-nil draw, but apparently Radonjic did score late on. Um, so yeah, enjoy. It'll be a bit different. You'll get the predictions at the end of of, of the recording. We'll be back post, uh, post-Genoa with a preview. Um, if it's a preview for Cagliari or then do we have the two weeks off? I yeah, can't remember. we have the two weeks. Over the two weeks. So yeah, we we do need to do quite well in, in Genoa, I think, because we're going to have to fester on that result otherwise. So Rob, um, great to see you, buddy, in 2024. Happy and uh, 
Happy New Year, Forza Toro, and um, yeah, enjoy the chat with Fabrizio and Matt, which is coming up after a bit of Radonjic magic. Forza Toro. Forza Toro. Space here. Deep ball in by Illich. Brought down by his fellow countryman, Radonjic. Still Radonjic goes around the outside. Radonjic! Right at the death! Welcome back, bentornati to La Lantana Podcast. This is part two. So we have not one, but two special guests this time around. So as we mentioned, we the next uh, m- the next match that we'll be uh, facing is against our former, we still love him to death, uh, Ivan <laughs> yeah. Yuri, and uh, to one of our biggest friends, at least from the Tifosi stand-up point, Torino. So I wanted to welcome... Uh, our our special guests, Peter and Rob. Welcome, guys. Welcome. Thanks for having us, guys. So, let's introduce our our guests. So, uh, I'll I'll go. It's a it's we we never usually have often, anyways, uh, more than one guest. So it's it's a little bit more uh, an organization thing. So I'll just I guess address one by one, uh, so we don't talk on top of each other. But it's just fine. But all right. So let's start with introducing ourselves. So let's start, I guess, with you, Rob. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, Rob. I've been a Torino fan since about 2005, 2006, after going over to Italy for the first time. Um, Well done. And and, yeah, and then I, um, yeah, I loved Italian football growing up and uh, read about the story of Grande Torino whilst I was in Italy. And and then after after that, the sort of my mind was made up about which uh, Italian team I was going to follow. Uh, and then, yeah, I sort of there weren't many English-speaking Torino fans around, but uh, from sort of set up a, a website and a Twitter account quite early on in in those days, probably sort of once Twitter first sort of started becoming as big as it, as it became, uh, and yeah, very quickly um, sort of uh, made contact with Peter, who's probably one of the uh, one of the early, maybe one of the earliest uh, Torino fans, would you say, Peter, uh, in England? There's a, there's a few a bit older than me, but yeah. I'm 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 really glory days. So. Well, we love it. It's that's that's fantastic, guys. And so it, it sounds like you guys have been with Toro for some time too, which is which is amazing. I mean, I have come into Genoa myself a little bit more recently in the last probably five years or so. But um, what's it, what's it been like? I mean, have you guys found more Toro fans recently? Has it been? Um, it, it it seems like more and more we're finding more Calcio fans in the UK, which is amazing. I don't know if that's actually a trend that's going on or um, if it's just something that kind of spurred up organically and, and uh, you guys are seeing it that way. Yeah, well, I think from my side, I've been a Taurus fan since 92 when we were in the UEFA Cup final where a certain Genoa also got to the semi-final. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, an, in, a, in another dimension, it could have been a Torino-Genoa UEFA Cup final. <laughs> so yeah, my entry point was, i say, the glory years then we won the Coppa Italia the year later, but... I was introduced through a like a twinning uh, at the time. Man City and Torino had a had a kind of twinning uh, thing going on between the fan groups. So the original Toro Club England was run by a, a number of Man City fans, and then yeah, I think Torino have always been one of those teams, a bit like Genoa as well. With very obviously Torino's history is very unique, um, and it has always been yeah. There's always been quite a few. Toro fans out there and what we've noticed doing the podcast actually internationally there's a lot a lot of our listenership comes from Australia or the States where a lot of maybe second third generation um, 
Italians who they love and interest football has been passed down. And um, yeah, so we, we have a kind of mixed mix fan base in the UK and uh, Scandinavia, um, Australia, and as I said, in the States. And yeah, it, it does seem to be growing. It's quite curious. You do see these fan accounts for, for Sassuolo and Chievo and some very random teams as well. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting you start this conversation about the friendship between Toro and Genoa because that was going to be one of my questions because um, it's quite an interesting thing. In May 2009, Genoa came to Torino and did something they don't normally do, which is come and win. And I don't mean that in a, in a mocking way. But <laughs> I, ha- I hadn't realised that Genoa hadn't won in Turin since 1941 before that match. Um, and bearing in mind, Torino and Genoa have played each other a lot between Serie A and Serie B. And on the flip side, Torino never win in Genoa. So I think the the, the old Genoa actually there was a kind of, let's say, agreement that if Torino came to Genoa, we would roll over and Genoa came to Torino, be the same. And I think it's a real shame what happened in 2009. Mm. I fully understand, I mean, just for people to know it, the, the kind of is a very historic friendship between Torino and Genoa, a little bit like Torino and um, still have with Fiorentina. Um, and then it all changed in 2009 when Genoa, who were coming, playing for the Champions League, justifiably came and beat Torino and Turin 3-2. It was a result which effectively relegated us, um, but the Torino players didn't take it very well. Fans didn't take it very well. But I'm not really sure why things eroded so quickly. I I have a suspicion that the relationship between our president and your then president didn't help. Um, But I find it, yeah, I find it a real shame that there's... um, there's not really been an olive branch there, and there's, there's still a kind of standoff between the two supporter groups. Which- well, all I can add to that is I agree with you fully with respect to it. It was such a shame. Um, you know, the life of ultras are, is quite different from your regular um, us fans or lovers of the of the teams and so on. They have different politics and or different type of intricacies that we might not even understand or agree with. And all I can say to that is the specifics, I think it's more of a maybe someone said something mockery-ish and, and then started to spark something. And I believe, if I remember, recollect well, it, it, hap- it, it continued there, like the, the, this divergence or this dis- detachment between the two fans, because it's ultimately it's about a fan. It's nothing to do with the teams themselves. But um, it, it, it lasted for maybe a couple of years, maybe a little bit more, but even though it's not officially uh, back in the twinship or Gemellaggio per se, um, I, I, I strongly see throughout this great friendship that continues and, and it's getting stronger year after year between the, the, the fans. So I can't speak for the ultra side, uh, but definitely from the fans, you always see uh, Toro fans coming on our pages and say, we love you guys, uh, Granata. You know, Genoa is for a lot of blue and stuff like that. And the opposite as well. You see Genoa fans on the Torino uh, side saying, you the merda, Torino is only Torino and stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah. and the hatred for Sampdoria as well is still, I mean, Torino and Sampdoria is also a complicated rivalry, so. Well, th- there you go, right? So for our our two worst enemies or hatreds are Sampdoria and Juventus. So there you go. That's That's where the twinship happens and it's a natural twinship per se. <laughs> and that was beautiful <laughs> nobody can see it because on the pod it's only the audio aspect but uh, Matt just showed 
you know, putting his hands around his ears, which was Pellegrini uh, instance. I think it was like last year. Yeah. This last season. Uh, we, we were there because he, he hasn't scored many goals. <laughs> well, that doesn't help either, right? So Torino was in, in Ferraris against Sampdoria. That was the year when we were down. So he being a pure Genuano from his heart, deep heart, uh, since he was a child, since he was born, essentially, right? Being Genovese. And uh, after he scored, he was ready to go back to the to his half. But he said, no, wait a minute. That's where uh, the, the, the Sampdoria fans are. So Gradinata sued. So he faced them and he put the hands behind his ears saying, I can't hear you. <laughs> Anyways, it was fantastic. <laughs> it, was, it was fantastic for us, for sure. I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, obviously, the win was the win for you guys. But just I a little jab into the Sampdoria fans. It was, it was maybe just a, a way that football has maybe changed that, that I don't think that ever would have gone um, down very well uh, with the fans, with the Samp fans, but even there were a few Toro fans who weren't so sure on it. Whereas I think me and Peter might have, like, if I remember correctly, we might have had slightly different sort of um, sort of viewpoints of it as well. Because I was sort of thinking, yeah, <laughs> I fully understood why he did it, and I probably would have done the same thing. Um, I think it was a bit of a strange game. I think Samp, I'm not sure if they were autumn or already relegated at that point, or were sort of just it was very close. To yeah. But I mean, they yeah, they didn't take it very well at all, and at the, all. the players probably even more so than the fans. I actually think to 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 a, a sort of aspect of it, I think some of the fans probably actually almost like appreciated that, like yeah, a, a Samp fan would have done that if it, if the roles were reversed. And I think the players actually maybe took a little bit more. I think I joked to Peter that some, I think it was Bruno Amione showed more passion uh, uh, in uh, trying to attack Pellegrini than he did in the ninety minutes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think it's it's just one of those where things where I think previously I think a lot of fans maybe if that twinship between Toro and, and Genoa was still there, they, a lot of Toro fans probably would have maybe supported what what Pellegrini did then. But yeah, pretty sure that was his last goal for for Toro. That's yeah. for sure. Before we we dig into sorry Matt, uh, before we dig into uh, the Torino itself and or eventually the match before we go to the wrap, but um, to to Matt's question before. Do you think, and maybe you have answered it already and I just ma- missed it, but do you think there's a resurgence, um, some sort of renaissance back of love in the UK, generically speaking, for Serie A? Or is it just like an impression that we might have? I, I think might have a, a different answer as well. But just from my opinion, I think Italian football has always been very well loved in the UK, previously predating sort of going back to the sort of 1990s. So for myself, mm-hmm. what, when I mentioned previously that I, I had an affinity for Italian football, um, we, a lot of, on free TV, the only way that you could watch uh, live football if you didn't have sort of satellite channels was on Channel 4 um, in the UK, which showed uh, Italian football f- moving from when Paul Gascoigne uh, moved to, to Latvia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think a lot of older um sort of football fans probably have an affinity for Italian football from then uh, and really sort of go, go back to the glory days of the, of the 1990s and so on. Um, I don't see, personally, I don't think there's as much sort of love for Italian football now. I think if you look at the pre- the product of the Premier League, it's obviously the most expensive and most of some, like highest uh, amount of paid players and managers and, and the transfer fees are ridiculous and things that Toro and Genoa could only dream of. I, mean, I, I think I think they're, they're like we we've had players who we, we've had players on loan from the Premier League who who we just financially wouldn't be able to to buy unless they were heavily subsidised by those Premier League clubs. 
Um, and I think that's maybe a little bit um, of, a, of a shame. And I think there's probably maybe there's less of a uh, attraction to Italy. Obviously, you've got the the cultural aspect of Italy. Italy's uh, a much nicer country to, to live in than England, I'd suggest. And there's maybe a little bit more things to do and see. Um, but yeah, I think from nowadays, I think actually in the UK, you probably get actually a little bit more of um, fans who, maybe younger fans especially, attach themselves to a club. Uh, sorry, a player rather than a club. Uh, mm. Obviously, when Ronaldo moved uh, across the, to the other team in Turin, yeah. there were a lot of f- you'd see a lot more Juventus fans uh, around in the UK. But that wasn't because they were Juventus fans; it because they, they were Ronaldo fans. Yeah, yeah. I think to jump on what Rob said, in the UK is a cult following for Italian football. So it was massive here in the nineties when it was the best league in the world, when it was on every week, um, and a lot of people then attached themselves to an Italian team. And I think. Now it's, it's a lot easier to watch Serie A again. There was a period where it was on random TV channels. So I think now there is a there is a bit of a resurgence, but it's to to an extent it's with those people who were followers in the, in in the nineties and the early two thousands. I'd suggest. Of course, man, it's uh, well. I mean, uh, you know, obviously the in North America it's a little bit different too. We didn't have. I, I wish I grew up with football Italian or something similar. I think in Fabri's experience probably would have been different than mine because I think there was more um, Italian football coverage on, on cable TV and things of that nature in, in Canada actually than in the States. But it is something, seems like it's growing bit by bit a little bit. It helps us in a strange way, I guess, with the CBS rights being there and, and also from the Champions League. So you have the offshoots and things and Seems like that's making a little bit of a difference, but it is one of those ones. Obviously, there's Premier League just made such a big um, impression here in the states, and and so it's kind of in a different way um, bigger over here as well. But it's well, exciting. We had, we had a past conversation around that, if you remember. I mean, not that I want to div- talk too long about this, but essentially, mm-hmm. Serie A, different language, it's a little bit more difficult for some people really to understand yeah. when, especially when there's interviews and stuff like this, while EPL, uh, being English-speaking in the English-speaking countries, and not only, it's a lot easier to follow, understand, and, and you know, even the articles themselves, like, you know, your, your local articles, your you're going to read them in English. Most of the people around the world knows English. Well, most of the people around the world do not know Italian, right? But um, I guess that's also not another natural aspect of that as, as well. well and I, I think the other difference is the Premier League is a broadcast experience by and large, whereas Serie A is, Serie A is all about going to the games and being part of that TIFO. And that's, that, yeah, that's, totally. very, that's very unique. And I think that's still... That's still the big difference between two leagues. Rob and I went out to Turin a few weeks ago to see to see a rare uh, Torino crushing of Atalanta. It was just yeah, you just you, you just remind yourself of the kind of choreography and the whole theatre that is that is going to watch Italian football, which you just don't you don't get in the Premier League. It's a very different experience. Sorry, that was one of the rarest occasions. We had some uh, guys from the podcast from Atalanta. Atlanta. And they were saying, rightfully so, that Gasparini usually kills all his pupils, like meaning all his uh, former players that now are have become um, coaches usually don't do well when playing against him. But that three nothing, if I'm not mistaken, that's what you're referring to against Atalanta was something else. It was, yeah. I mean, I think Atalanta had had I don't know what they'd eaten in their match more, but 
I think, I think Napoli must have stayed in the home, same home weekend because the way Napoli played yesterday is pretty much the same as Atalanta. It's just, yeah, very, very strange. So now let's go quickly back to Torino itself. So tell us a little bit more about yourselves with respect to, is there a club, followership, where you guys meet, what, how, how do you watch the, the, the matches, et cetera? I mean, you did mention the TVs and so on, but like as a group or even if you're by yourself. Yeah, so um, a bit of a strange thing, actually, that me and Peter first met 10 years ago, and then we never actually, and we only live about an hour and a half away but uh, in, in the UK, but we never actually met up again until we went away uh, for th- three three nights uh, just before Christmas. So we've actually only technically only met each other twice. Although, yeah, after spending three days with each other, I think Peter probably needs another 10 years to get to get uh, <laughs> before, we, before we meet up with me again. But yeah, we... There is not so much as a, a we've got maybe more of a um, online presence and we, when we yeah the chat groups Turin, yeah when we met up in Turin we had sort of like a, a talking tarot um, sort of meet up in one of the sort of Irish pubs here in Turin and uh, and that was given um, quite well attended from sort of a number of sort of English people who live in Turin as well as some uh, Italians and then also some some other fans who sort of were sort of wanting to sort of spread the word of uh, of Turin as well and. Um, yeah, in the, in the UK, I tend to, I tend to just watch the, the games on my own, but obviously me and Peter are in regular com- conversation on um, on WhatsApp. We're quite, uh, quite different. So Peter has the, the self-restraint that if he isn't able to watch a game, we'll just turn off all technology and then watch the game as live later <laughs> on, um, where good. I uh, can't do that. Um, so yeah. I need to know the result. Is like I need to have updates on whatever. And uh, yeah, I think about a year Around a year ago today, I was at one of my friends' uh, my friend's wedding. We were playing Empoli, uh, and we were two 0 down by the time that the photos were being taken. Uh, and then by the time uh, the photos had stopped being taken, I was walking back into the reception area. It was two two, so I was probably I probably had the best uh, <laughs> the best evening ever at that wedding. Um, Rob's face with before and after those pictures was totally different. Yeah, exactly. Was, exactly. I, think, I, think I, I think I literally got the notification to say we were two 0 down just as they were saying, "Oh, they were calling me over for the photos." But yeah, <laughs> um, it ended. It ended okay. But yeah, I think probably would have had uh, different photos had we been winning. But um, yeah, and then yeah, we just uh, it's it's quite it, was, it is on the sort of pay TV channel here in the UK in terms of watching the games, but it's probably actually easier to. I mean, other than. Unfortunately, I think the the game on Saturday is what they have in the UK is um, a sort of uh, a, I can't remember what they call it, but it's like blackout. a blackout. Yeah, it's a blackout. Sorry, so it's a blackout they call it in, in the UK. So they can't show any uh, football between sort of half past two and quarter past five uh, in the way of trying to protect local football in in the UK. It's a little bit outdated, very old fashioned. So it's a way I think to try and protect sort of local teams. Because obviously, if you if they were playing Manchester United v Liverpool on a Saturday at three pm, people wouldn't go and watch their local team down the road. And uh, yeah. I, I would imagine in the next couple of years that will probably just get get taken away, and and that possibility will still be there. But obviously, for Italian fans like myself and Peter, it's a little bit annoying because I don't think there'd be many people other than us two who'd be sort of not going to watch a, a domestic game because because Genoa Torino's on the TV. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's interesting. I had I had no clue. I, I had known about that obviously within the domestic competitions, but I didn't realize. I guess it kind of makes sense in some sort of a way, but yeah. that, that extended to all the other fixtures as well. Yeah. That's kind of bizarre. Interesting. Um, I, I had never heard of it myself either. 
Those trains. So, yeah, so most of our dialogue is scathing WhatsApp messages about Toro players for, for an hour and a half <laughs> every weekend. But yeah, I, I actually, I used to live in Turin uh, between 03 and 06 uh, to coincide with three magnificent Serie B seasons that, that mm-hmm. Turin had. So I saw, um, yeah, I've, I've had kind of different phases where I've, I've had season tickets and, and then or I lived in Switzerland for a while, so it was a lot easier to go and um, drive across the terrain and then having this kind of, yeah, it's, it is nice being able to pretty much watch every game live. Yeah. Okay. As well. So, um, it kind of all works out, but yeah, I saw a lot of Genoa when I was in Italy as well. Just Genoa and Torino at the time were very often in Serie B together. So, yeah. Um, so off topic, but I think it's still very important for, for our listeners themselves. Torino is such a beautiful city. It's also defined as, um, the Paris of Italy for its beauty and so on. Uh, to go back in history, it was um, the, the, the capital of the Kingdom of Italy back in the 1800s and so on. So you can think and see of why the beautiness and the royalty that Torino has. So I'm, I'm looking at it from a perspective. When you look at tourism, obviously, you know the big names. So Roma, Venezia, uh, Amalfi Coast and so on. A little bit Milan because of the capital of fashion and, and shopping and so on. But there are other cities like Torino specifically in this case and or Genova, which are very left, you know, off the beaten path of the tourism itself, just because there's so much to see in Italy in general, that these ones are overlooked, not necessarily totally because they are getting uh, obviously a lot of, of tourism themselves, but from the generic, uh, maybe on the North American perspective, more, more than in the UK are a little bit less, um, you know, talked and, and discussed about. And yeah. And for that, I'm saying uh, if you have a chance, don't uh, forget to go in and visit Torino City and Torino matches. <laughs> so the, the historic center of, I think the historic center of most Italian cities are beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but Torino, yeah, it's got the, some of the biggest piaz- piazzas in Europe. Um, I think since the, win- the Winter Olympics in 06, there has been a a change. Torino's always been quite a reserved city. It's not really been a city that's actively promoted itself or met, I wouldn't say actively welcome people, but it's been a lot more open to tourism over the last 15, 20 years. Um, and I think you have a great thing you, you have. You have the hills, you have the wine regions, you have the mm-hmm. river runs through it, you have these magnificent Baroque architecture and piazzas in the centre of the city. And then you have the mountains as well. So it is a city where it's a very livable city. Um, and a beautiful city as well. And yeah, it's my, one of my other favourite cities, not going off topic, is well, to link to the last general match, Bologna as well, is another place. So. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very true. So going back to Torino, I was looking at some statistics and I've seen in the last three years, if I'm not quoting that incorrectly, seems Torino's in love with the 10th spot. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> and right now you're sitting on the 10th spot as well. So I guess what I'm trying to get at with this is what's your sense, you're feeling your comments with respects to not only the arrival of, so there's a little bit to ask here, um, uh, not only for the arrival of, of even Yurich, uh, with the love and hate relationship that there is with, uh, with your president, um, and what, uh, what, what's happening this year, I guess it's, it's a lot to talk about, but, um, whoever wants to start first. I let Rob, Rob loves Urbano Caro, so I let him start. Uh, basically, I I, um, I congratulated him. After the win against Napoli, we um, he, uh, there was footage uh, that I sh- I'm sure was probably on the, on the worldwide feed as well of, of Cairo um, 
so in Italy, as, as people will know, when the player scores, the, the stadium announcer will, will say the first name and then there's the surname. And then the stadium uh, and the fans in the stadium will echo the, the name of the, the, the surname of the player when Cairo was joining in. Uh, I think it must have been for Vlasic's goal. Um, and I, I messaged, I messaged Peter and I, thought, oh, I was like, I quite like that. Um, uh, so yeah, I've now got a, a, a sort of a reputation of, of being Cairo's biggest fan. But um, I think it, this, you're, you're probably going into, into a little bit too much detail here about Juric, which might, might be one of your next questions. But I think we've, Juric is, so I'm three-year contracts and this is the, the third year of that contract. And I think up until recently when we changed formation, I think there was almost a little bit of a feeling that the fans and players had had, had a little bit, um, uh, they'd had too much of each other and, and, and maybe there would be a sort of natural end to that contract um, at the end of at the end of the year um, or at the end of the season rather. Um, I think our upturn in fortunes, having changed formation, something which Juric was very reluctant to do, uh, has potentially <laughs> meant that the marriage may need to continue a little bit longer. Um, I think Juric is seeing some better results and, and maybe, um, I, again, I think it would be interesting to see what happens at the rest of the season if we continue on this sort of upward tra- trajectory and the, and the results keep, keep getting better. I think there's a potential that there'll be other clubs uh, sort of interested in him. Uh, on the flip side, I think if you'd asked Torino fans three months ago, if, if you Juric wasn't your manager, I think they probably wouldn't be quite happy with that. I think some of his um, outbursts in, in press conferences, maybe getting a little bit too, um, a bit frustrated with, with some of the things that he said, some of the sort of random players who who come out of favour just overnight. His substitutions have never been particularly great either. Uh, and yeah, something that I was saying to Peter as well, we, we've scored 18 goals in 19 games. Um, which isn't particularly impressive. But then if you think that we've won three games this season, 3-0, so that takes half of those goals off. Um, so that leaves you with nine, nine goals from, from 16 games. So the, the football, at, at spells, we, we've played quite well and haven't got the sort of what we deserve from the game. But yeah, Torino, this Torino side, which maybe in comparison to his first year when we'd had some very, very media and mediocre seasons. If you think tenth is mediocre, we were probably a little bit worse than that. But we, yeah, we, we'd come from two seasons fighting off relegation. Juric came in, and he was a breath of fresh air. I think, yeah, things have slowly sort of stagnated. But yeah, you look at the the scenes from from the win against Napoli and, and a team who, again, like Atalanta before, and hadn't had a, a brilliant record against. Um, I think if we can sort of improve our away form, which was actually quite good last season, it, and our home form was quite bad, if if we can actually settle them both out, I think there is a chance that we can sort of qualify, at least be in the conversation for Europe um, until the sort of like final weeks of the season, which yeah, I think is all, all Toro fans are, are after, really. It's still early to tell, but, you know, it's not impossible. Only three points to the Europe spot anyway, so it's yeah. not... An impossible goal. And, and I, I would say, really, I don't think we've played particularly well this season. I think we've played very poorly in some games and we've played okay in, in a couple. I think uh, the Atalanta and Napoli performances on paper look good. But as Peter alluded to, I mean, the opposition was was very, very poor. Um, it, I don't think there's been a, a game where we've the opposition have been, have been good and then we've had to be better than them. I think we've almost been quite fortunate that in some of the games that we've won, the opposition have just been very, very bad. I'm not sure how much of that is is Torre made them bad or, or the, like any team would, would have beaten them on that day. Yeah, I mean, I think 
I'd be interested to hear your view on Juric, but the frustration from Juric is he's brilliant at preparing games. He's less good when the game plan, uh, the kind of natural course of the, the game goes against Torino a little bit. His substitutions are never very good. The flip side is, is our squad big enough, which is, raises the question. We're always kind of one or two players short, and it's usually fairly obvious where those holes are. And that's a question of investment, and that goes to the slight frustration of the owner. Last year, we missed Conference League football by a few points. We messed up so many home games against Salernitana, Verona, Empoli. We dropped loads of silly points, which if we'd had a decent backup goal score, a little bit more creativity would have made a difference. This year, we're really missing a decent left-sided player, um, possibly a decent backup forward as well. And if we if we get those in January, it could make a difference. But yeah, Juric's football, the first season was quite heavy. He's into his death metal. It was quite death metal. It's, it was a real breath of fresh air. And it's suddenly kind of become, or very slowly become, like death by a thousand cuts. It's loads of possession uh, without ever hurting the opposition. Um and whether this kind of, yeah, as Rob alluded to, we've, we've switched formation to play two strikers, uh, be a bit more direct, and it has it has made a difference. But the Genoa game this weekend, it's fairly key because whenever we get a good result, we never back it up the following week. So it's probably good news for you guys. I was going to say, so <laughs> thank you for opening that up. No, um, well, no, I, I, if you're, you're alluding to the fact of asking me what do I think about Juric, Obviously, we had him a few times, actually, but it, it was more at the uh, beginning um, of his uh, tenure uh, as a coach. So he was still in the rookie phases or understanding where his place was or getting more experience, essentially. And with our former president owner, which you can sympathize based on the conversations of Cairo, which I think in a way they were very similar, differently, different yet very similar, um, obviously, uh, that was one of our major issues in the past. Um, and, uh, but, you know, as I mentioned at early on at the beginning of, um, of, uh, uh, the recording here, uh, we will always, uh, love and have great, uh, words to say for, for even Yurich always. Um, so I guess this year is still tough. You're, you're right, Rob, and, and even Peter mentioned it, but I mean, do you foresee, I mean, okay, so there's a couple kind of like a double-sided question here. Is it because we're tired uh, of the Serie A? Is it Serie A tired of the of the old model of, of teams where the sole ownership with his own finances, however, <laughs> they were getting those that money and, and, and maybe we're tired of that and looking at what, including us, what it looks like right now of a change that is happening in Syria with multi-properties versus foreign properties. Is that what maybe Torino needs? Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult question because Cairo has been there, what, nearly 20 years, which is quite significant in itself. And yeah, as a feeling he runs the club a little bit like a small family business in a way. Um, it's a very kind of, um, the hierarchy, it, Everything's quite deferential to him, I think, within the hierarchy. There's not, uh, doesn't seem to be a massive amount of, uh, of influential people within the club or ne- necessarily a massive amount of autonomy. At least that's the, the impression from the outside. And that was definitely the case in the early Cairo years where he was 
trying to do everything himself. Uh, this model, the interesting thing in 18 years, he's not really ever looked to sell the club. I don't think there's never been a case, very occasionally some Torino fans get very excited about a Red Bull connection, which I, I would personally not like to see, but I think that's just a, just a bit of lazy kind of, um, yeah, kind of lazy, uh, debates on Twitter or people trying to put two and two together. In terms of this model, I don't know. I mean, you look at some of the other Serie A teams, it's not, you know, you first you had this the kind of Chinese investment um, at some of the bigger clubs. You've had American investment. Um, and it's hard, to, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to see. Um, obviously, look at what's happened with, with Fiorentina and uh, um, the kind of some of off the pitch stuff is is really impressive and quite progressive. Um, but it's hard to, yeah, I don't think there's kind of enough evidence that it's it's really working elsewhere as well. Um, that, that's from my side. So as much as I would like to see a change, I'd like to see a change within the club or within Cairo, uh, just to be a little bit more. Uh, to take a few more risks, um, to kind of yeah, to modernise the club. We did we did have some quite good news before Christmas in terms of finally getting a, a new training complex. Um, but yeah, on the flip side of the coin, I'd be having witnessed Torino go bankrupt as well, and witnessed ten years of Serie B over the last thirty years. I've also got to be a little bit cautious about what you wish for. Um, and what I wish for really is. Yeah, it's it is it is for the club, even within its existence, just to modernise and to to recruit recruit perhaps a few more kind of forward thinking people. That's that that's kind of from my side. I'm interested to see. Um, I don't know the general situation intimately, but I have seen. Yeah, I've I've kind of quite interested to see how that that model works out for for Genoa as well. No, uh, sorry, I'm quickly jumping in before Rob can answer, but um, the model that we've seen with with the current multi-property, obviously at the beginning, there were a lot of people scratching their heads saying, oh my God, what's going to happen now? Is it going to be like that pyramid type of style like city where if you're not on the higher ranks, you're like one of the funding a player for the bigger team, especially also now with um, with the talks of Everton. Uh, being bought out. But uh, what we have seen is there, and that's what also declarations from the ownership and so on, was um, it's all independent. They're only leveraging certain aspects. And I can only, I, of course, I can only speak for 777 Partners, which is the ownership uh, currently for Genoa, but they're run independently uh, with different ownerships and different management style or whatnot. But what they want to leverage is... Um, the scouting or the marketing or wherever you, you, you know, you can see that in all that, how it's run in certain companies also in the United States where they have different, I don't know, the satellite companies or whatnot, but they leverage, I don't know, HR finance and all that stuff. Obviously the finance part is all individual and it's not shared. So, so far so good. Let's put it that way. And I think it, 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 it just gives a higher um, um, heavy weight when it comes to the power of purchase, I suppose, that's what it looks like, at least from our perspective. But, you know, wherever they said that they were going to do, they put their word to it. And that was the, the good thing. So, so far, we, we can't complain. Obviously, others 
fans are are known to be not necessarily always um uh by unbiased right so when you look at other teams like standard Liege, which they're having a top trouble season or um uh, vasco da gama in brazil where they were having a little bit ups and downs and so on you, when you listen to those words against the ownership in moments of trouble it's not necessary reflection of the truth uh but you have to look at it from a holistic standpoint and in uh, a step back I, I think i think the example you make with, with city and the city group is probably how the the plan should work and i think that's how um it would be difficult, even if if Tori were in that situation where they were they were bought out by City Group. I don't think any given Peter also mentioned the the past relationship between City and Torino. I don't think um, Tori fans would be that sort of they wouldn't dislike that that much as long as the the products on the field and the results were were going well. But I think the way City work it and they do it with Girona and they're both having obviously good seasons and and the they've got that exchange of players and that scouting network. I think sometimes how it goes badly is what you see with Watford and Udinese, where if you look at the Udinese squad squad list, I swear every player has had a spell at Watford at some point. I think whoever, whoever sort of rates, rates lowest in the uh, fitness tests in pre-season has to go over to Watford uh, for the next uh, for the next season or something like that. But um, I think uh, something we and Peter have discussed on the podcast, I think Torino, if you look at the way that... Um, Netflix and Disney Plus documentaries have become so popular on football teams in the last couple of years. If you look at Sunderland on Netflix and and Wrexham and, and Disney Plus, maybe a bit more uh, sort of relevant at the moment. I think Torino would be prime, a prime candidate for uh, one of those style documentaries where you can sort of focus on the on the current team and then also uh, go back to the the history and focus on Grande Torino and the, and the the stories of tragedy that have uh, unfortunately sort of beset Torino throughout the years. And and whether you did it, I think it would probably make more sense if this would be quite <laughs> quite groundbreaking for Torino to actually get ahead of the curve and sort of almost pitch the idea themselves. But that would be, a, that almost gets your eyes on it in terms of a wider um, audience and whether it even is just more foreign fans get uh, becoming aware of the club. And yeah, you never know. One of those foreign fans could be a millionaire um, and and has the sort of capabilities of, of buying the club and and that's sort of something that I think me and Peter are sort of hold, holding out for just to, if if anything because we've got uh, recorded evidence of it being our idea first so we'll be uh, do a do a cut of the profits. All right, so I guess let's go into more specifics of what's happening this weekend. So on Saturday we'll be ma- a meeting uh, yet for the second time. So this will be the first match of the second leg. So the first leg, we saw what happened. It was in, uh, in um, if I'm not mistaken, in Torino, where at the very dying minutes, and that's something that at least for us has been our biggest, uh, I don't know, negative aspect of our season of getting these goals at the dying end minutes of, of, the, of the match. And so the, the match ended one nothing for you guys. But uh, now it's going to be at the Ferraris. Ferraris is known to be like this fortress with uh, tons of of fans um, with almost sold out season tickets this year, first ever for the city overall. And and it gives that really the sense of of the 12th man with the stadium English style where they're a little bit more closer to to the pitch rather than other stadiums like similar to yours. Um, What's your sense and what's your take and what's your predictions, I guess, with with the match? Um. 
I think at the beginning of the season, we we did our predictions. We both predicted Genoa to be the surprise package in a, in a positive way. Um, I thought some of you all... I found Genoa in the past, especially under Prezioso, were a bit of a supermarket. Um, uh, there were too many... There were players never hung around for very long. Um, a lot of different nationalities, which in itself is, is not a problem, but started to lose your identity a little bit in the final years. And you mentioned, yeah, the coaching changes and, and Jenner and Cagliari were just famous for, for, you know, hiring the same coach three times a season. Whereas we looked at Jenner and being the season, you brought in some players that we thought, well, I wouldn't mind it's really looking at that player. I'm thinking of Retegri, but also we were linked quite heavily with Malinowski. I'm quite glad in a way we didn't assign Malinowski because I'm not sure he what we needed. Um, and then obviously I've seen, well, over the last six weeks, I've seen, I've seen bits of Genoa and you, yeah, you, you've become seemingly, uh, quite hard to beat, quite resolute. Um, not, perhaps not quite picked up the points in, in, especially in the Bologna game on, on Fickwood's Friday evening that you've deserved. Um, and I think, yeah, I'm also, also very impressed with some of we talked about earlier in the season as well. Torino's fan base is it's a whole topic in itself at the moment. It's a lot of apathy. There's a lot of fans not going to the stadium. Whereas, yeah, to see Genoa um, completely selling out season tickets is, is really impressive. So I think it'll be a great atmosphere. Um, the other thing I always touch on, which without taking it off topic, is Torino and Genoa have always exchanged a lot of players as well. So you think back to Gigi Moroni in, in, in the 60s, and Torino had a relatively successful spell five, six years ago. We kept buying players from Genoa, um, which worked out like I think of Ansaldi, Itzo, Moretti, Iago, Falke. We bought all of these players from Genoa, a bit careless in, in, in kind of letting go. Um, but there's always been a very strong connection between the two clubs in terms of, of, of players going from either side. <laughs> yeah, personally, uh, looking at the recent history, we after going a long time not winning in general, we won, I think we won four in a row. And then we managed to lose... The season you got relegated, which is the last time we went to general, we managed to lose 1-0 despite the fact that you were down to 10 men and were on a really bad run. I have a feeling this may be a 1-1 draw and uh, everyone will be... I don't know. Everyone will be a little bit unhappy and everyone will be kind of satisfied at the same time. I think that's uh, that's the way I see it going this weekend. As Torino, for me, don't have that killer instinct. Uh, as good uh, Defensively, we're pretty solid. We're quite hard to break down. Uh, we've done a lot better against the teams that come on to us. I think it was a little bit more space. Um, but I think, yeah, my feeling is that generally in pretty good form um, and a point a point is probably as optimistic as I'm going to be for Toro anyway. Yeah, I think. Who's your goal scorers? Sorry, who's your goal scorers? My goal scorers? Oh, now you're... Well, Malinowski will certainly score because we tried to sign him and it's probably due, due one of his kind of epic shots from outside the box. And it's probably time Duvan Zapata scored for us as well. So, yeah, there's your scorers. I think I'm going to be even more negative than Peter. Just having, having a look at Genoa's last three home games all being 1-1. Um, I think, yeah, if, I think if you look at two of those, the Inter and Juve would have been good results and then Empoli maybe a bit a bit disappointed. I've not seen the game, I imagine. Having, having seen Empoli uh, play Torino not too not too long ago, they might be the worst team that we've played this season. We still only managed to beat them 1-0. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I feel like I think 
I can't see Torrey winning two games in a row like Peter. So I'm going to go for nil nil. I've um, already said that we struggle for goals. It looks like Genoa maybe in a similar boat. And I think that Saturday uh, lunchtime kickoff in, in the UK doesn't really lend itself to to great games. We played Udinese there just before kickoff, and, and that was a, a pretty terrible game. So um, yeah, I think I mean that. I think both teams probably be quite happy with that. Sorry, picking up a point away from home and Genoa sort of maintaining their sort of their, their good run at home as well. I think what Genoa have is you have some pace in the final third, which as good as our defence is, our defenders tend to prefer to play against quite physical opponents. So depending on how yeah how brave tactically Toro are, whether we do come and and play play quite high press and allow allow Genoa space on the counter attack. That could be um that could be a good play for Genoa. But how has I know Rotegui's kind of not been he's been a bit in and out of the team. How has he how has he been for Genoa? Has he been a good signing? Um it's hard to tell because he came from Argentina where their league starts in, during the winter. So what I'm trying to say with this is um he came in in, in the summer um a transfer window already with a almost an entire season at his uh, uh, on his back. So he came in, he started stronghold, like the, the, the fourth, fifth gear, like he, he did very well uh, at his debut and so on. But then he had this injury, knee injury, which kind of dragged um, quite for long. And that's why we saw him in and out several times. And he just came back fully, apparently, from the, from the um, infirmary um notes anyways, uh, fully recuperated and so on, which is good. That's the important part. But he's out of shape, out of form right now. So even when we saw him in, in the last match, his um, his performance was quite brutal almost to the point of making very rudimental mistakes and so on. So I, I personally predict that as everybody comes from a very uh, hard injury and long-term out, almost like two months without him. Um, it'll take almost like a month, four, four or five matches before we get him back in, in, in shape. So I do not foresee him necessary. If if not in the starting 11, he will come in later, but not for the entirety of the match. Um, but at the same time, we can't really rely too, too much on him uh, where our lower spell i.e. also that match that Rob mentioned before about uh, against Simply was a full determination of our lack in the front. And that's where, uh, with his injury, what just made it more, even more and more difficult. Now we almost have everyone um, available, especially up front. Um, Junior Macias is actually showing a lot more um, uh, qualities that we were expecting from him. Uh, Goodmanson is a rocking steamroller that uh, it's on everybody's uh, mouth, and 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 Malinowski. Depending on the role you give him, I had some several conversations with different people around this. But essentially, I don't personally. I don't think that Malinowski is the right player for Gilardino's Genoa, um, even though he is a great player. When I'm saying this, is while I still believe he is a great player, and you can see the two goals that he has done with us were his typical uh, signature goals from the outside the box. But at the same time, uh, Giladino is asking quite different type of approaches to the match by him, which are outside his typical role. And he's asking him to be a little bit more 
um, I guess, flexible with respect to not always the, this, the same type of role, but to play a little bit differently. Um, having said that, what do I see about the match is um, I, I think it's going to be a tough match. I think both are great tacticians. Both from, come from the similar school, meaning both had Gasparini as their coach, but I guess the difference is uh, Gilardino had a lot more exposure. And I'm not saying this with respect to the quality or the who is better versus the other one. So what I'm trying to say with this is not, Gilardino doesn't have the, that imprint of, of, of full uh, Gasparini. While um, we know that Juric is more of a, obviously he's grown differently in a different path, but that was his more bigger core of his learning, at least my opinion. <laughs> but having said that, um, I think it's going to be a, a, a tough battle, a, a manly battle, um, a dirty one, because we have two great tacticians at play. Um, I think among all Serie A, we can count four or five different uh, very um, high-end ta tactician expertise. And these ones are definitely one of the two. And um, and I think that that it'll be tough. And maybe the heart is telling me that to make it all set from the, from the first leg, that it'll be a, a very narrow win for Genoa, a one nothing with goal. I don't know. That's a tough one to say. Maybe Goodmanson just because he's the one that has been scoring forever or maybe from the defense on those set pieces, which seems that our, our biggest, um, you know, uh, type of goals that we're able to do. For, from a uh, Toro perspective, I'm hoping that uh, Dragusin finally gets his move uh, and it, it's done before Saturday. Um, okay, so I guess we are at a wrap. Um, I would want, I wanted to specifically thank you both for, for coming, uh, uh, coming at, on our pod as our guests. And it's finally fantastic. I mean, for us, it's, it's, uh, uh, um, it's, it's, it's fantastic to see, uh, Toro, English speaking Toro fans. Finally, we found you guys. And, uh, and, and it's because it's wonderful not only to see fans from minor, and I'm saying that very lightly because we are not minor, but uh, minor teams, meaning not the t your typical uh, big ones. And we need to be more um, um, heard, I guess, out there, as it's not only about the ones that are out there, that if they do not win, it's all about them not winning, while it, it's us, uh, um, I, I guess, putting a, a damper on, on these other teams. Anyways, so uh, once again, thank you, Rob. Thank you, Peter.